Liz Sumner, and this is I Always Wanted To, the podcast where I interview people who are doing things that others long to do. What have you always wanted to try? Here's part two of my conversation with Silicon Valley branding executive Betsy Burroughs, where she describes how to make changing your habits easy, effortless, and fun using brain science, and how she lost 90 pounds in the process. Here's Betsy. Actually, the way I did lost the 90 pounds was actually radical in that it was easy, effortless, and fun to do it and to keep it off, which is radical in the weight loss world. Amen. <laughs> the assumption is you have to be miserable the whole time and and all that kind of stuff. And I just didn't, wasn't into that. And this has a whole lot to do with my understanding about the way the brain works. Cause the brain doesn't like that either. I had done this three minute talk mm-hmm. last year to this large group of 20 and 30, 40 something women. And I started it by saying, I turned 70 this year. I have never felt happier in my entire life. I finally figured out how to make it easy, effortless, and fun to lose 90 pounds and keep it off. And I'm having the best sex of my entire life. Um, <laughs> how, where were you when you began? How did you incorporate? It was this um, information you had been using in your work and you decided to transfer it to yourself? Or? Yeah. So, you know, I was, I, I was, I am a longtime Silicon Valley branding executive. And I had this experience when I had my own ad agency of waking up in the morning and having a fully formed campaign come to me out of the blue. And what was different was it wasn't just any old idea. I was absolutely sure it was the answer I was looking for. And I took it to the client that afternoon Um, I had just scribbled it out on binder paper. You know, it was a headline. It was a concept of an ad. It was a tagline. It was kind of everything. Mm -hmm. And I sat in my client's office for the longest time. The two of us just screamed because we knew it was the answer. And that campaign took that company from a 35% share of market to a 50% share of market basically overnight. Wow. And people wow. in Silicon Valley talked about it for years. Wow. And, and I ended up joining that company as chief marketing officer. And then basically lightning struck twice with another campaign. But I used a certain brainstorming technique to trigger it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to figure out. So the thing is, is when people get those ahas in the shower that they are different than a regular idea because you're sure that they are the answer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you, and that, that surety just compels you into action. The, the, the creating this podcast felt like that to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> so what I wanted to do, people kind of think those kinds of ahas and insight solutions, you can't control them. It's just the muse and you can't mm-hmm. control them. And I wanted to figure out how to make them happen more often. Mm-hmm. And so I started, you know, researching all of that and eventually ended up with understanding a lot of stuff that was going on um, in, in neuroscience. 
Mm -hmm. um, basically, there had been like a shift in the zeitgeist around neuroscience and everybody was like responding to this new stuff that people were talking about. And I saw how much it applied to this issue of how to have more insight solutions that you're that propel you into action. Like I, I'll say in talks that an insight solution is like an idea with action embedded in it because you know, everybody, so often I'd hear, you know, oh, ideas are a dime a dozen, action is all that counts. And yeah, but if you don't do action with a good idea, it, who cares? Yeah. And, um, and so I wanted to see how to make it happen more often. And what happened though was after I'd been doing that for quite a while, I had some kind of personal problem I was dealing with and I decided to use the techniques for that. And they worked. And then I started telling my friends about it and I do the techniques with my friends and, and, and I know it was working for them and all of that. And one by one, I kept knocking off behaviors that I'd wanted to change for a long time, but just was failing all the time to change it. At the same time, I got, got really interested in, in behavior change and habit design and how the brain worked around all of that. I was like really, really interested in all of that stuff. But, you know, all these things, whether it was productivity issues, whether it was keeping my loft clean, mm -hmm. um, I had noticed that if I was just cleaning it just for myself, it was like just so painful and not fun to clean. Mm -hmm. However, if someone was coming over, not only would I actually clean it, but actually the cleaning process itself was a whole lot more enjoyable. So consequently, I created um, a situation where I started this conversation salon in my loft every month. And I did it every month for 12 and a half years. Wow. And until two until two years ago. And I basically was giving a party for 50 people every month in my salon. And it got me to keep my loft clean. <laughs> and um, anyway, I was doing these techniques and other areas, you know, like productivity or finances or all kinds of things like that. I was learning how habits work and how habits work in the brain mm -hmm. and how to get myself hooked on new habits. And, and how to work with the brain on that. Basically, everything that people try to do to change their habits, whether it's weight loss or anything else, the conventional wisdom is as if it's designed to get you to do the opposite. Mm -hmm. It works completely against the brain. Does not, so it's not about willpower or motivation or um, morality or mindfulness or mm -hmm. mindset or anything like that. If you understand the way the brain works around habits, you can do um, habit change and make a big difference. So I kept knocking off all of these habits and changing the habits and getting better and better. However, the most intractable one was the weight loss. And the harder I tried, the more I couldn't. Um, I use the example of those Chinese finger um, oh, yes. toy things. Yeah. 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 And um, the, the harder you try, the, the more stuck you are. And I just, I think what happened was I just got to a critical mass of 
of learning about habit change and design and neuroscience, plus the the literature and what people were saying and the you know the ideas they were coming up with around that had kept evolving and evolving. And finally, um, I got to a point when I was 62 years old and 250 pounds. And I was like, I knew I could hold on by my fingernails and lose 30 pounds, mm -hmm. but then I would, something, something bad would happen in my life. Mm. And, and the thing is, it, you know, it can be stressful time at work. It can be something really bad, like somebody very close to you dies, you know, whatever it is. And I would fall off the wagon. I'd start eating like crazy. I would gain all the weight back and then some. And then it was like massively difficult. And it is massively difficult for the brain to start all over again. Mm -hmm. if something that it has failed at. So mm -hmm. the brain has a, a built-in mechanism to keep you away from that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so um, it's trying to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. It's trying to keep you away from pain and danger. Mm -hmm. And it, it also sees that the whole process of beating yourself up because you overate is something that the prefrontal cortex does. Your rational brain does it. But what happens is your emotional brain, your amygdala, its job is just to keep you alive and survival. So its job is just to keep you away from pain and danger. And when you're prefrontal cortex is beating you up for overeating to the emotional amygdala what that feels like is ow 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 mm -hmm. it's pain mm -hmm. and its job is to get you to to safety as soon as possible mm -hmm. in the most efficient way mm -hmm. and for my brain and the way it was wired that fast efficient way to get me to a sense of safety was have a cookie Mm. How long were you overweight? What, what, what portion of your life? It was basically my starting in my 40s. I realized it's, it's menopause. It's so weird. I didn't, I, like I said, you know, I, that's actually shocking to me because I felt overweight my entire life. Mm. But really, <laughs> I wasn't mm -hmm. in my 20s and 30s, mm. but I felt that. So 40s, and that's when I started gaining a, a ton of weight. And like I said, when I was 62, I realized I had to do something different. And so I, I know that my brain, I think I have a really scaredy cat brain and can, the amygdala can get freaked out really easily. Mm -hmm. And so it's trying to keep me safe. So it's just getting me to eat like crazy to keep me a feeling of safety mm -hmm. and I knew I had to make the change in a way that was safe to my amygdala mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's a, a story about safety that I use in talks there's a, a guy at Stanford called BJ Fogg and he has the Stanford persuasion technology lab and he's a real habit expert and he tells this story around trying to get himself to floss his teeth. And the thing is, and so, so many people have a really hard time getting themselves to floss their teeth. And to the prefrontal cortex, it just does not understand what the problem is. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't take very long, it's not difficult, what's your problem? And yet, 
you know, you keep forgetting and forgetting and forgetting. How he got himself to floss his teeth every day was he started by every day after he brushed his teeth. So he's hooking it with a, with a, a habit that he already has, which is brushing his teeth. He would floss his teeth. But what he would, how he started was his only goal was to floss one tooth. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And that is, the, that is the reaction I always get. You know, there's just giggles throughout the audience. Yeah. So what I started to realize, like everybody in every weight loss thing talks about doing baby steps and all this mm -hmm. stuff. But all the baby steps they talk about are way too big way too big and it was like how do you calibrate how small that step needs to be and so i realized actually the the unit or the measurement against it is it has to be so tiny that it makes your amygdala giggle yes oh and that's lovely just, and basically goes duh we can do that you know <laughs> To me, I see like with the whole weight loss, but behavior change in general is all around safety and, 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 and keeping the amygdala safe. And we have to understand the prefrontal cortex is like fearless and it's no big deal and it's easy to the prefrontal cortex. But the amygdala, depending on who you are, can be real scaredy cat. And it never goes away. I mean, I still have, you know, I just know how to deal with my amygdala now to keep it safe. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's about staying within my comfort zone. Everybody else, you know, get outside your comfort zone. And I totally get it. There's a lot of people who getting outside of their comfort zone is their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are people, you know, rock climbers or whatever, you know, yeah. that that's comfort to them. Yep. But I have a very sensitive scaredy cat amygdala and it can get e easily spooked. And so I need to do stuff to keep it safe. We started this conversation uh, because you are a person who uh, is exploring Tinder. Some of our listeners might think, wait a second, what's this scaredy cat stuff when, when she's uh, out there Wow, having the time of her life, meeting thousands of men. Uh, so I mean, that, that might make some, some people think, who, who is this person calling herself a scaredy cat? Well, I suppose that the brain can be scared of certain things and not other things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I felt safe with the Tinder thing because there was this, this app between me and the other guys. I had, and, and basically, I had Melissa to watch. Okay. And okay. Melissa to ask questions. Okay. And so I was, you know, I, I had that kind of thing. And, you know, and I was starting to feel confident about the way I looked. And I knew guys in their six, late 60s and 70s would think I was hot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, when I, as far as the weight loss was concerned and feeling safe, my first thing was, was, how can I make it easy, effortless, and fun, which is a phrase I use in my first book. And easy, effortless, and fun is something that makes my amygdala feel safe. And the thing is, is that everybody just assumes that losing weight is miserable. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, your brain frights you on it because mm -hmm. <laughs> you're, you're just assuming you're going to be miserable. And the thing is, the brain finds what it looks for. So if you start to ask it, how can I make 
XYZ, whatever the task is, easy, effortless, and fun, your brain will go and find answers. The brain is like that. But if all you're saying to your brain is, this is miserable, I hate this, this is horrible, the brain will just go, oh, you think that's horrible? Here's another reason why it's horrible, and another, and another. Because the brain will find whatever you're looking for. Uh-huh. And so I knew, I, knew I, I, I had to find a way. It had to be easy, effortless, and fun. And then the first step that I did, I knew that maintenance is like the most important skill you can have in weight loss and keeping it off. Mm-hmm. No one ever tries to learn how to maintain weight until after, just they start to do that right after they've lost weight. Yes. which is the most dangerous time ever to try to learn the skill of maintenance. And so I decided that I would start with learning maintenance. And mm-hmm. actually, the behaviors you need to change to lose weight, there's probably hundreds of them. And you need to learn them and learn them so well that they're an automatic habit. Mm-hmm. And people... Just think it's about this quick start program and you lose 10 pounds in a month and that will motivate you to keep going. That's a lie. And something stressful comes up and you fall off the wagon and then you get really discouraged and it takes you three years to get back on the wagon again. And so I needed to avoid all of that. So I decided that my first thing was just to maintain. And this is at 62 years old and 250 pounds. But if I didn't get those habits lined up, making sure I always had the right food in the house, if I needed to take food with me to prepare it, to prepare it ahead of time, all these kinds of things, I had to figure this out and turn them into locked-in habits. I mean, habits make things easy, effortless, and fun because you don't have to even think about it. Mm -hmm. And you want to do it, you know, kind of a thing. So... I, um, and then the really radical thing I did that I don't like to admit in polite company is I sort of asked my brain, well, how long should I maintain? You know, how long to learn all these things and how long? And it was sort of like I asked my brain a year, uh-uh, two, uh-uh, three, uh-uh. It wasn't until I got to five years that my brain went, oh, duh, we can do that. And I like to tell people that I took five years so they don't have to. Um, and, but I, that is what I did. And, and I wasn't even consciously thinking, oh, it's coming up to five years. Now I'm going to lose weight. All I know is that five years I started to lose weight. And, and then so it took it me about a year and a half. Kind of automatic. I mean, like you maintained, you built the habits. And, yep. then, and then the pounds started falling off at about five years? Yeah. I mean, it took about a year and a half for it to, the weight to come off. But I, I just had gotten to a place where enough of those habits were kind of locked in that mm-hmm. I could make those kind of behavior changes that I couldn't make before. Wow. And I had, you know, what was interesting is I never gained weight during that five years. Mm-hmm. I maintained my weight even if it was 250 pounds, mm-hmm. you can eat a lot if you're trying to just maintain 250 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's actually really fun. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, and I did all kinds of experiments during that time. I mean, I did really crazy things like 
Well, first of all, I knew that doing a food diary is really important for giving your brain kind of feedback about, and if you doing, doing a food diary and weighing yourself every day, you start to understand what levels of food, you know, mm -hmm. work at different things and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yet everybody really hates doing diary. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is really quite obvious because no one ever does a food diary until they're on a super restrictive diet. Yes. So yes. it is not fun to track carrot sticks and celery sticks and all that kind of stuff. And so I turned it on its ear because I, my job was, was to get myself to do the habits that I knew would eventually re lead to weight loss. Mm -hmm. And I knew the food diary was going to be that. And so what I decided was I could eat anything I wanted in any amount as long as I wrote it down. Okay. Okay. So the success dopamine hit was writing it down. What I discovered was I was super satisfied at 2,000 calories a day. I used calories just as a way to track from, you know, uh, yeah. from day to day. Mm -hmm. um, I have a very simplified version of how I track cal calories. It's super easy kind of a thing. I knew that I could lose weight at 1,500 calories a day. And I found I was super satisfied at 2,000. So the delta was a lot less than I expected. It was only 500 calories. Mm -hmm. um, so that was just... All just sort of interesting information for my brain to know. Mm -hmm. I also did experiments where I made myself eat, like I did experiments where I made myself eat 5,000 calories in a day, which is something that I had done many, many times, definitely three to 5,000, not unusual for me, uh -huh. um, but I wasn't tracking it. Uh -huh. And so this time I was tracking it at and I would experiment with 3,000 calories a day or 5,000 calories a day. I mean, I wasn't doing that every day. It was something I was experimenting with. And it was so revelatory because I found actually it was difficult to eat 5,000 calories a day. Like before I was oblivious to it, I'm sure I ate 5,000 calories a zillion times, feeling totally guilty the entire time yeah. and beating up on myself the entire time. Yep. Instead, I wasn't beating up on myself at all. I literally had a goal that I had to eat 5,000 calories in it. And I mean, I found myself, I remember once I was at McDonald's at like 9 o'clock at night buying a 750 calorie uh, hamburger just to hit my 5,000 goal <laughs> that day. By the time, you know, if the five years went by, I had learned enough things about myself and how I ate and what different you know things did for me or not and then I started losing the weight learning to do these habits and creating these habits and getting hooked on these habits and trying to lose weight at the same time is too big of a cognitive load for the brain it, it just short circuits it you can kind of you know make yourself do it for a month or two and then the brain goes, ah, you know, and you eat everything that's not nailed down. And I had to have something that was permanent. I mean, this is the first time I've ever given away my fat clothes. I have no fear of gaining the weight back. There's no voice in me that used to be there when I would lose weight, which was, you gain it all back, you're going to gain it all back, you're going to gain it all back. Yep. Something's really changed in my body. Wow.
so yeah, that's kind of my story. I think your approach is revolutionary and very important. That was my conversation with Betsy Burroughs, author of the upcoming book, How to Stop a Bad Habit, based on the neuroscience of dopamine and cortisol. You can find out more at focuscatalyst.com, and I'll post Betsy's contact information in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Let me know what you've always wanted to try. And remember, be bold. Be bold.